Engaging presentations on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. Well, hello, friends, and welcome live for the first Sunday of Advent. I'm pro-life leader Frank Pavone of Priests for Life. We welcome all of you here for our time of scripture and prayer. And I'm standing because I'm going to go over here to the Advent wreath. The wreath is a sign of our hope in the coming of Christ. It has purple candles, three purple, one pink, and in the middle is the white Christmas candle. But the reason that the color of Advent is purple, well, actually, let me ask you if you know the reason. You can let me know in the, uh, in the comments as we get started here. But obviously the wreath, because it's round, represents God's eternity. It was from eternity that He planned the coming of our salvation in Jesus Christ. It was from eternity that He decided in His love that He would become one of us. Bring us the way, the truth, and the life in His incarnate Word. It is from eternity that that Word is spoken by the Father. And uh, the Father begets the Son from all eternity. He is begotten, not made, as we say in the Creed. And the Holy Spirit is the love between the Father and the Son. They all come to us at Advent. But why is Advent purple? If you know... So let's say so in the, uh, in the comments. And meanwhile, let's light the first of the four Advent candles and let's sing together the song that marks this season. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, O Israel, to thee shall come Emmanuel. Lord Jesus, we address thee as Emmanuel, a word which means God is with us. And we know that you are with us, as you promised, till the end of the age. And yet, even though you are with us, even though you have come to us, we beg you still to come. Because there is always more of you to receive. There is always more holiness into which we grow, always more of your truth that we can learn, always more intimately can we be united with you, and that, O oh Lord, is the purpose of our lives, that, O oh Lord, is what we want. As we light this candle today, this light expresses our hope that the light shines on in the darkness, a darkness that does not overcome it. There is much darkness in our lives and in the world, in our nation and in our church. Lord God, our hope is in you, Jesus Christ. You are the one in whom we place our trust and to whom we unconditionally obey. As we light this, may the season before us now be a gem in the crown that awaits us in our eternal home. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. Come, Lord Jesus, and we hear you reply, yes, I am coming soon. Rejoice, rejoice, O Israel, 
to thee shall come Emmanuel. It is purple, friends, the color of this season. Because if you look at the dawn, if you go outside at that moment when the dark of night just begins to turn into the light of day, the sky, just for a little while, will be purple. The purple of Advent signifies that the darkness into which sin has thrust us, the darkness that we live under, under the shadow of death, is in fact turning to the light of Christ. The darkness is not permanent. Only light is permanent. And that light overcomes darkness as Christ Jesus comes into the world and into our lives. We have prayed, we have lit this first Advent candle. So let us now read from the prophet Isaiah. You, Lord, are our Father, our Redeemer. You are named forever. Why do you let us wander, O Lord, from your ways and harden our hearts so that we fear you not? Return for the sake of your servants, the tribes of your heritage. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down with the mountains quaking before you. While you wrought awesome deeds we could not hope for, such as they had not heard of from of old. No ear has ever heard, no eye ever seen, any God but you, doing such deeds for those who wait for Him. Would that you might meet us doing right, that we were mindful of you in our ways. Behold, you are angry, and we are sinful." All of us have become like unclean people. All our good deeds are like polluted rags. We have all withered like leaves, and our guilt carries us away like the wind. There is none who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to cling to you. For you have hidden your face from us and have delivered us up to our guilt. Yet, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay and you the potter. We are all the work of your hands. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God comes to us in the mess. The mess in our lives, in our nation, in our church, in our world. He comes amidst the mess. This is what the Advent readings tell us. This is what today's reading tells us. This is what we need to understand if we're going to be steady in our spiritual lives, no matter what is happening around us. Because, brothers and sisters, sometimes the temptation is to say to ourselves, to say to one another, even to say to God, Yes, Lord, I will be about the business of following you, of welcoming you, of repenting, of deepening my spiritual life, once everything else clears up. You ever find yourself talking that way? Once this problem is solved, then I'll start paying attention to my spiritual life. Once this, this, this division or this confusion ends, then I'll be able to focus on the Lord. Once this relationship in my life is, 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 is fixed, then I'll be able to attend to the things of the Spirit. No, it's the wrong way to do it. There's always going to be a mess. If it's not the one that you're dealing with today, it'll be a new one tomorrow. There's always going to be reason for anxiety. If it's not the problem that you're facing today, there'll be a new one tomorrow. Have we not learned this much in our lives? 
that we can't wait for clear and quiet waters. Yes, there are indeed periods of our life where there is amazing calm and peace. Maybe they're very brief periods. Maybe some of us are fortunate enough that they last for a long time, periods of consolation. We know that God brings those. But it's not that we can rely on that in order to welcome Him. You know, this reading says it to us because it says, look, we're a mess, putting it in other words. We are sinful. You are angry. By the way, that's not such a great combination, is it? That we're sinful and God is angry? Not a good combination. But we're like polluted rags, it says. We and our good deeds. We're in a mess. And yet, both at the beginning and the end of the reading, that awareness, that realistic acknowledgement of the problems around us is balanced by, overcome by, another realistic acknowledgement. That God is on our side. That He's our Father. It's not just God out there watching us from a distance. It's God our Father. He's not just our Creator. Father means He's sharing His life with us. He's sharing His love with us. Many people believe God exists, but they're not sure what He thinks of them. God has told us what He thinks of us. He's told us the kind of relationship He wants with us. And so this prayer from the prophet Isaiah here, the 63rd chapter, is a prayer of entrusting ourselves to the care of the One who's not just the Almighty, the All-Powerful, but our Father. And that's why He comes. A father who's being faithful to his call as a father doesn't abandon, doesn't go away. He comes. And He comes to deliver us. And notice the the, the word of, of hope at the end of the reading here. We are clay, you are the potter. In other words, this father of ours is not just going to wish us well, This Father of ours can shape us in whatever way He wants. And if He's got us in His hands, remember, reminiscent of that song, He's got the whole world in His hands. If He's got us in His hands, He's got the whole world, the whole nation, the whole church in His hands. And yet it says just before that, You have delivered us up to our guilt. That's a scary phrase. You know, we, we see it repeated over and over again in, uh, in the beginning of the letter of the Romans. Let me just remind you of what Paul says there about the darkness that came over the, the minds and hearts of the people in his day. They knew God. It says in Romans 1.21, but they did not honor him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man. Then it goes on to say, therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. And he goes on a little bit later, verse 26, For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. And then he talks about same-sex relationships. And then he goes on further, They did not see fit to acknowledge God, so God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Listen, God never changes 
in his love for us. God never changes in the call that he gives us to holiness. But there are times scripture makes clear that in order to wake us up, to shake us up into repentance, God lets us have what we are looking for. In our misguided passions, in our forgetfulness of Him, God at various times shows us what the results are, what the consequences are of what we are foolishly choosing. Some people are, I mean, the Word is always being spoken to us. The invitation is always going out to us to accept the gospel and to accept the law and the calling of God to a new life. Some people just consistently reject it. So God essentially says, for a period of time, okay, that's what you want, that's what you're going to get. And He lets us live with the consequences. Now, this should not be interpreted as He stops loving us or He gives up on us. He doesn't give up on us in the sense that He abandons us altogether. But what it means is that He chastises us by letting us feel the consequences of sin. That ever happened to you? Well, you, sometimes you hit rock bottom because God exactly wants you to see the foolishness of what you chose or of what you failed to choose. Remember when God says in Deuteronomy, I set before you life and death, blessings and curses, choose life. He's talking about choosing the, the, the life of His covenant. He's also talking about choosing life in the sense of, 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 of choosing to say yes to human life rather than to destroy it by things like abortion. And He gives us this choice, choose life or death, choose the way of following me or of rejecting me, but He doesn't let us choose the consequences. We choose the path, but we don't, choose, we don't get to decide where it leads. Once we choose the path, where it leads has already been decided. That's why he says choose life and blessings, because that's what choosing life leads to. Or choose death and curses, because that's what choosing death leads to. You don't get to, to, to reconstruct the path. You only get to choose it. So God says here, or Isaiah says, Lord, you've delivered us up to our guilt for a time. Once it gets bad enough, once we experience the pain of going off our own way instead of God's way, well then, maybe then, we're ready to hear His word. It's like the prodigal son, right? The parable of the prodigal son. God gave him up to his, his lustful desires, his wayward choices, and so until he ended up like, what am I doing here? I can't even get anything to eat. I'm going to go back home to my father. You had to get bad enough. So it's true for a nation, too. You know, I often talk on my, on my uh, weeknight program, Praying for America, which I hope you tune into every weeknight on these same channels. It's got to get bad enough sometimes for a nation to make the right voting decisions. The, the Catholic bishops said this in their document, Living the Gospel of Life. You know what they said there? We get the public officials we deserve. Their virtue or lack thereof is not only reflection on them, but on us. You have hidden your face from us, the reading says. You have delivered us up to our guilt. Are things destructive now in America? Have we got problems at the southern border? 
Do we have problems with abortion on demand policies being forced on us? Do we have problems with indoctrination of our children in the schools? Do we have problems with wars all over the world because of incompetent leadership in America? You have delivered us up to our guilt, O Lord. He gives us what we choose. He lets us experience the consequences of our mistaken choices. But that doesn't mean He's abandoning us. He's still coming to us. He's still calling us. We have Advent now. We have the candle lit. We have the hope of Christ coming. And brothers and sisters, He comes to us in the midst of the mess, in the midst of our sinfulness, in the midst of our guilt. Don't wait for the perfect time. Don't wait for the perfect time to welcome the Lord. Welcome Him now. In the midst of confusion, doubt, even desperation. Welcome Him now in the midst of division and confusion and wars. Welcome Him now. He knows the right time to come. He comes in the midst of the mess. You know where this is reflected too? We'll hear it later in Advent. The Gospel of the Genealogy. Abraham starts with Abraham and then it goes through to David and 14 generations from Abraham to, uh, well, it's the beginning of Matthew's Gospel. And this long genealogy of the, the, the history of, of, uh, of, of uh, uh, the birth of Jesus Christ is reminding us that He comes in the midst of the mess. Because some of the names in that genealogy are reminiscent of serious sinfulness. Rahab is mentioned. Tamar is mentioned. People who gave themselves over to, to prostitution or, or pretending to be a prostitute, in the case of Tamar. Uzziah is mentioned. Uzziah... Um, uh, uh, oh, I'm sorry, I meant that in Uzziah. Uriah father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah was David. King David killed Uriah in order to have Bathsheba, his wife, committed adultery and murder. And yet, God was faithful to the promise that a descendant of David would be on the throne forever, the Lord Jesus Christ. God comes in the midst of our guilt and of all the messes that our sins create. We're in the culture of death right now. We're in a culture of abortion. Some in their obtuseness of spirit are continuing to cling to the notion that freedom, choice, health care, and constitutional rights include the dismemberment of a little baby. And what does God do? We get the public officials we deserve. We get the public policies we deserve. Unenlightened choices Choices inspired by passions, lust, and death end up wreaking havoc among us. It's in the midst of this moment now that we say, Come, Lord Jesus. Come into this darkness. We don't wait for the perfect time to ask for His coming. We ask for His coming precisely amidst the darkness, and then the light shines upon us. Let's turn to Him in prayer. Come, Lord Jesus. We have begun this new season of grace. 
We have begun this new year of the church's liturgy. We have begun a renewed time of recognizing, first of all, how much we need your coming. Recognizing how much bad choices have ruined our lives and our nation, and our church, and our world. Lord, we live amidst confusion. We live amidst confusion fostered sometimes by church leaders. We live amidst times of violence, terrorism. And yet, we know that your coming is as sure as the sunrise. Lord God, as we light the Advent candles, as we see the Advent wreath, as we see the Christmas decorations going up, which remind us of your coming, may we be encouraged. May we be filled with hope that life triumphs over death, truth over falsehood, grace over sin. And may we in our lives, Lord God, echo that victory, implement and act according to that victory and pass it along to our children and their children. Bless us, Lord, with new Advent hope. In that Advent hope, Lord God, we ask for the answering of, of all our prayers, the granting of all our intentions, the fulfillment of all our needs, whether they be for health, wisdom, good choices, consolation in the midst of sorrow. Grant to us, Lord God, what we ask in faith. And now we sum up all our prayers by praying in the way that Jesus Himself has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. We pray to our Heavenly Mother, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Okay, well, we'll be with you each day uh, this week. Uh, although I am going to Washington, we'll be pre-taping some of these, but uh, I'm going to Washington tomorrow night. I'm going to be honored on Tuesday. I'm part of the National Association of Christian Lawmakers, and we're going to get together for a beautiful gathering together with the speaker, the new speaker of the House, Congressman Mike Johnson, Speaker Mike Johnson, I should say, who, uh, who uh, has known me for years and and we are going to uh, be talking with this group of lawmakers about the, uh, not only about the uh, various uh, laws on abortion, that uh, bad ones we have to resist, good ones that we have to push, but also about the cancel culture in the church. They want me to talk about what's happening to uh, me uh, in the Catholic Church and Bishop Strickland and Cardinal Burke and. Uh, and so they're, they're going to, uh, well, it's going to be nice. I'll tell you more about it once it happens. But uh, that's going to be a meeting on Tuesday, a gala Tuesday night, and some more meetings with lawmakers on Wednesday. So pray for wisdom for these lawmakers. They are Christian lawmakers. They are saying it publicly. And it's, uh, that's exactly what our nation needs, uh, doesn't it? Because we had Christian founders, and they didn't, they didn't uh, hesitate to acknowledge. They didn't uh, shrink away from acknowledging Jesus Christ in public. And so we will do in Washington again uh, this uh, uh, day after tomorrow. 
But I'll still be with you for the morning scriptures, and uh, please spread the word about these uh, times together of prayer and of delving into the word of life. Happy Advent. Happy first Sunday of Advent. Have you have a great, uh, great day. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. Priests for Life is an extraordinarily fine group, uh, and I, I don't say that in order to um, make anybody feel better or flatter anyone. Uh, it's, an, it's an unusual and a very unique group in that most of the priests whom I have encountered across this country and indeed around the world uh, shy away from the subject of abortion. They somehow want to keep it under the rug and only pull it out when they're ordered to. Uh, in my own experience as a Catholic convert for the last several years, um, I've attended a great many masses and listened to a great many homilies, and I think, believe in three years I've listened only to one homily on the subject of abortion, and that was here in St. Patrick's Cathedral. Other than that, priests seem not to want to talk about it. And Priests for Life is the Paul Revere of this whole gestalt, that Priests for Life are riding around trying to galvanize the rest of the clergy into getting engaged in what is one of the most appalling revolutions of the 20th century. And I am uh, enormously grateful to them and admire their work enormously, but unfortunately I believe that there are not enough, that Priests for Life should, be, should have a staff 20 times what it has now. Dr. Teresa Burke, founder of Rachel's Vineyard and pastoral associate of Priests for Life. The retreat model that I established for healing the trauma of abortion has grown throughout the world, serving hundreds and thousands of people in need. What began as a small husband and wife effort to help those who had suffered the loss of a child from abortion to heal in body, mind, and spirit has evolved into an international ministry that is now paving the way for new psychological and spiritually integrated approaches for treating other forms of traumatic experience. Our national team conducts trainings of clergy, counselors, and retreat site leaders worldwide, but we rely only on your help to keep this worldwide ministry going. Your support literally turns lives around. Can you give a generous gift today? Please go to rachelsvineyard.org slash donate. Thank you and God bless you. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.